0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Director of Policy at Independent Women's Forum, and today I'm your host for our Working for Women podcast. We're joined by our special guest, IWF Foreign Policy Fellow, Claudia Rosette. And Claudia is the author of our latest policy focus, called The Challenge of North Korea. So that will be our topic today. Thank you, Claudia, for joining us.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So,
0: Claudia, can you fill us in on the latest development? Is there going to be any productive meeting uh, between President Trump and the regime in North Korea?
1: I would love to think that something really good will come out of this, but I am extremely skeptical. Uh, This is too close to the old North Korean playbook. And while I think that President Trump is different in his views and approach from previous presidents uh, who have tried to cut deals or tried to ignore things or basically failed to stop North Korea over years. Um, I think that he's going up against something in trying to get something out of a summit that's very difficult. Uh, One of the big problems being that as soon as you agree to a summit between the president of the United States and the dictator of North Korea. You're dignifying the dictator. I mean, that that sitting down, when they sit down together to talk as equals, that does not dignify the elected leader of the free world. It dignifies the thug, the tyrant, who has basically, via nuclear extortion, arrived at this point. Although from Trump's side, it's maximum pressure that has brought this. So I think it's very problematic.
0: So, Claudia, if there's any deal that uh, President Trump, a famous dealmaker, can make with Kim Jong-un. Is there any way that we can enforce it?
1: No, that has been the basic problem with diplomatic deals with North Korea, and I think remains that. It is a totalitarian state. They can t- completely control access. They can let inspectors in. They can kick them right back out, which is exactly what they've done over the years. They can say they're giving up their nuclear program, and then build new facilities, hide them until they're ready to reveal them, which is exactly what they've done in recent years. And what it does is after North Korea has bought time, advanced its programs, and extracted concessions from us, it takes us right back to the basic problem of how do you enforce anything without the use of military force, which is the bottom line problem here.
0: Are they really that dangerous, the North Koreans? I mean, what's going on? Are they a threat to to our way of life? Or is it that serious? That sounds like such a serious thing to think about.
1: Yes, they are really actually that dangerous. That's the crazy thing, Hadley. This is the human face of a totalitarian predatory state, which is becoming radically more dangerous at speed right now because they're actually on the verge of being able to put together nuclear missiles that could reach the United States, that could take out a a huge portion of an American city if they actually decide to use them. And uh, the thing to know about North Korea is this really is an evil regime. That's not an inappropriate word. It's evil. It abuses and oppresses its own people to an extent where the UN, in an unusually good report, uh, pointed out four years ago that it has no parallel in the contemporary world for the atrocities, the abuse, the the monstrous things that it does. And this is a regime which has beguiled America and its allies for a long time. Uh, Remember the Korean War, 1950 to 53, and is right now also serving as something of a model for powers that are uh, potentially more dangerous, China and Russia, but are not acutely dangerous at the moment. The acute crisis with North Korea is they really need to be stopped with this rogue nuclear program? Something has to be done.
0: Well, that's interesting because I, I think uh, you know most people would agree we don't like the idea of any uh, evil forces or especially enemies uh, to our way of life or enemies to the United States to have control over Uh, weapons that could ultimately, you know, bring destruction to our country. But I think there's also the threat that they um, proliferate and maybe share this type of weaponry with other bad guys around the world, too. I mean, what what happens if, you know, maybe the worst thing that could possibly happen is we're bombed um, by by North Korea. But there are other things that could also uh, be consequences to North Korea's weapons program and to their, uh, you know, at least blackmailing us or other. Uh, geopolitical players. Talk, talk about the threats aside from total decimation of some major U.S. cities. What, what else is a yeah. threat comprise? Let's,
1: let's talk about the other. Exactly. This is, you're making an extremely important point. North Korea has various allies and business partners around the world for its weapons trade, especially Iran, Syria, uh, some really bad actors in their own right, terror-sponsoring states. And North Korea has been developing weapons in collaboration with Iran for a long time, for years. Um, they test them there. They sell they sell missiles to the Iranians. They sell conventional weapons. Um, and some of the things that are on record, in other words, this isn't speculative that North Korea might sell its wares, military, conventional, whatever. Uh, they actually, North Korea helped Syria, Bashar Assad's terror sponsoring Syria, where the horrible civil war has been going on now, build a nuclear reactor some years ago in secret, where the only visible purpose of this thing, when it was finally discovered, was to produce plutonium for nuclear bomb fuel. The Israelis destroyed that in an airstrike in 2007. Thank goodness. But that was the kind of business that North Korea secretly does. In fact... North Korea was helping Syria build that secret nuclear reactor while it was promising the United States and various other countries that it was going to give up its nuclear weapons program. Okay, that's how double dealing they are. Um, and they've been part of various rogue proliferation networks for decades. They were part of Pakistan's rogue nuclear proliferation network, which was doing business with Qaddafi's Libya, Remember, Muammar Qaddafi in his day was... Working toward nuclear weapons, that was North Korea was one of the countries supplying him through that network. Uh, They they collaborate with a whole range of really bad actors because these are their ideological allies in the sense of being anti-United States, as well as people who as countries, rogue states, and terrorist groups such as Hamas and Hezbollah, which are in the market for illicit weapons. So it's not only that there's a direct threat to the U.S., it's also that North Korea, which now does have nuclear weapons, could easily, if they have not already done so already, sell them to the Iranians, sell the technology, uh, that you could then have a scene in which it's not just North Korea that has nuclear missiles, it's the Iranians who, with the kinds of rockets that they've been working on, have Europe in range. And what you have then is a scenario where very bad rogue states, terror sponsoring states, can hold Western democracies hostage to these threats. Uh, North Korea has been really good at doing that for a long time. It's basically nuclear blackmail. It's it's extortion. It's the mob coming around and saying to you, you do what we want or you're going to get hurt. And that's really, yeah, that's bad.
0: Yeah, you described some of these threats in the policy focus I mentioned earlier. It's called The Challenge of North Korea, and I recommend that any of our listeners go to IWF.org to read that uh, paper. I also wanted to mention you you do give a little background on North Korea. It's a good, you know, brief history lesson. You mentioned the Korean War. Um, But I think a a lot of Americans, maybe in in my generation, are just uh, astounded at this different form of government where one family essentially has had totalitarian control over North Korea uh, for longer than I've been alive, at least. So can you tell us a little bit about the Kim family and their history and the way that they govern with such a tight fist. Um, it, was, it was remarkable to me reading the policy focus because it reminded me of 1984. It reminded me of some fictional dystopia where the government has complete control over not just um, what people are doing, but even what they're saying and thinking to, to a certain extent. So uh, what, what is it like uh, inside of North Korea to live under this kind of regime?
1: It is 1994. That's exactly what it is. And it had its beginnings at the end of World War II. Uh, the victorious then allies, U.S. and Soviet Union, divided the Korean Peninsula into two zones of influence, the Soviets in the north and American in the south. And in 1948, Stalin's Soviet Union installed the founding tyrant of this Kim dynasty, where the grandson is still in power today, Kim Il-sung. And in 1950, Kim Il-sung launched an invasion of South Korea, a surprise attack, trying to take over the entire Korean peninsula. The U.S. US led a U.N.-authorized coalition to fight back, and there were three years of incredible carnage in the Korean War, which ended up pretty much where the war began with this armistice. It's a truce, but there's never actually been a peace deal signed. And that's where it's been since then. Kim Il-sung finally died in 1994. His son, Kim Jong-il, took over. He died in 2011. Now the current tyrant is his son, Kim Jong-un. And as time has gone by, this began as a communist uh, tyranny in North Korea. It has sort of metamorphosed into something that's still in many ways collectivist, but basically it's closer to a fascist uh, tyranny in which this ruling family controls, as you said, everything, and they have just this pervasive state security apparatus where everything, every level, from nursery schools to family life to the military to anything, is subject to party dictates, and everybody must appear to toe the line, no matter what they think. The punishment, it can be being sent to a prison camp system, a gulag that exists today, where they will send the entire family, not just the individual who they think has offended against the supreme leader, but grandparents, children, everybody, to these hellish, horrible nightmare work camps where people are starved, worked to death, where infanticide is practiced by the guards if they don't like the The mother whose baby is born there. um, The stories out of them are there's a lot of testimony at this point are just awful. And that's how that country works. Uh, It's run by a supreme leader. What he says is the command. And it's to me the sort of one of the bench litmus tests of how bad is it? Almost any tyranny on Earth, you can still point to a visible dissident, you know, somebody who's kind of known the way Andrei Sakharov was in the Soviet Union or dissidents in Iran. You know, you can see some dissent in China as well. In North Korea, you cannot find a single dissenting voice because they just obliterate them. That's how bad it is. It's the most repressive regime on Earth.
0: It's it's really shocking, and it makes me, it reminds me, How appreciative and thankful I should be as an American that I have such liberty to to speak my mind and oppose, you know, various things my government has done or or might do. I'm pregnant right now. I can't imagine, you know, fearing for the life of my unborn child because of something that I said or, or thought that was, you know, critical or contradictory to my government. You know, that's just so foreign from the way that I think as, as an American in the 21st century, I, I, I it's really shocking um, to imagine what life must be like inside of North Korea. So I appreciate your time today, Claudia, I appreciate you explaining some of the ideas that you've laid out in our policy focus. Again, for anyone who's interested in this policy area or others, I encourage you to visit the Independent Women's Forum website, which is IWF.org, and if you're looking to read specifically the policy focus that Claudia and I have been discussing today, it is called The Challenge of North Korea by Claudia Rosette, IWF foreign policy fellow. I'm Hadley Heath Manning, director of policy at Independent Women's Forum, and I want to thank you for joining us for today's Working for Women podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.